Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On the night of October 24, 1870, Piapot, a Cree nation leader, was preparing for battle. His warriors, the Young Dogs, were part of a group of 800 men led by himself, Little Pine, Big Bear, and other Cree chiefs. They planned to launch an invasion of the Cypress Hills area near present-day Lethbridge, Alberta, in the territory of the Blackfoot. Piapot was a highly respected man in his mid-fifties who had led the Young Dogs for the past three decades. Throughout his life, he had seen the bison disappear, and the start of settlers arriving from the east to settle in the lands of the new Canadian West. Where once bison herds numbered in the millions, only a few thousand remained due to the overwhelming hunting by settlers. The invasion in the Cypress Hills, planned for the next day, was an attempt to take territory from the Blackfoot and have access to the last of the bison herds. As Piapot went to sleep that night, he had a dream of a terrible Cree defeat, and he woke up from the dream convinced it was a vision. Piapot attempted to convince the other leaders to abandon the battle plan and retreat back to their territory. But the other leaders had come too far and didn't listen to Piapot, despite the respect he commanded. As they went into battle, Piapot refused to allow his young dogs to participate. That battle, now known as the Battle of Belly River, was the last indigenous battle in the Canadian prairies. For the Cree, it was a disaster. While both the Blackfoot and the Cree had 800 men going into the battle, by the end, only 400 Cree remained among 750 Blackfoot. Piapot's vision had come true. But this was not the end of the story of Piapot. It was just the beginning. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. 
The man who would become Piapot began his life circa 1816 in the area of eastern Saskatchewan. But he was not Piapot at birth. That name would come later. Instead, he was named Kisikawasan, or Flash in the Sky. As a young child, he and his grandmother were captured in a raid by the Sioux, and he was raised by them. He learned their culture and medicine. And when he was around 20 years old, he was found by the Cree and returned to his own people. Now with the knowledge of the Sioux medicine, something the Cree felt was very powerful, he was given a new name, Piapot, which translates to one who knows the secret of the Sioux or hole in the Sioux. Back with his people, Piapot proved himself to be an exceptional warrior and hunter. He quickly gained the respect of those around him and he became the leader of the young dogs a group of legendary warriors, bison hunters, and horse thieves. The band was made up of Assiniboine and Cree men, women, and children who followed Piapot. Now today, the connotation of a horse thief is negative because for colonial settlers, it was a terrible crime that demanded justice, equivalent to car thieves today. For the indigenous people though, stealing horses was more of a prank rather than a criminal act. European colonizers, especially the Hudson's Bay Company, saw it as a criminal act and they branded Piapot and the Young Dogs as troublemakers. The fact the band rarely traded with the company didn't help their reputation. At the time, the Hudson's Bay Company enforced European law in the West. Rupert's Land, a massive area that included parts of the future provinces of Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta, had been granted to the company by King Charles I in 1670 without the consultation with indigenous people. In the 1850s, the Hudson's Bay Company and the Métis moved into the Capel Valley, east of present-day Regina. This was the traditional territory of the Cree, but once again, land was settled without consultation and Piapot saw the immediate impact of the new arrivals as the bison herds began to decline. The Hudson's Bay Company refused to acknowledge the authority of Piapot, but fur trader Isaac Cowie would refer to him in letters as Piapot, Lord of Heaven and Earth. Cowie had his first posting at the Capel Fort, where he remained until 1874, and he interacted with Piapot on several occasions. Along with recognizing Piapot's importance in the area, he also respected him and called him an honorable man and a good hunter. Now it's understandable why he respected Piapot. The Cree leader spoke five indigenous languages, was known for his deep commitment to his people and for his ability to see the changing tides and do his best to adapt to them. Piapot knew that his people would face a major crisis in their current location and he began to advocate for the Cree to move westward to the Cypress Hills. Located along the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan, the Cypress Hills are truly unique. The area around them is arid and suited for ranch land, but the Cypress Hills themselves rise to 2,000 feet above the surrounding plains and are one of the few areas in western Canada to have not been covered by the Laurentide Ice Sheet during the last ice age. As a result, it remained unglaciated and the flora found there is unique to the area. There are also 220 species of bird, 47 different mammals and many different species of reptiles within the hills. It has a rocky mountain feel, but it's a place like no other because it's also the highest point located in Saskatchewan, rising to 4,816 feet or 1,468 meters. 
I lived in the area years ago, and I canoed often through the stunning landscape. Now, before Europeans ever arrived in North America, the Blackfoot called the region Ikimiku, meaning Earth over Earth. The Cree called it Manitakao, meaning beautiful upland or area to be respected, protected, and taken care of. When Métis fur traders came through the area, they saw the jack pine trees, or cypress in French, and renamed it Cypress Hills. The hills were also a borderland between the Sioux, Assiniboine, Blackfoot, Blood, and Cree. Due to the respect for the area, few indigenous nations hunted there, and bison were allowed to thrive well after the herds of the Great Plains were decimated by Canadian and American hunters on both sides of the border. With options dwindling, Piapot and the other Cree leaders were determined to make the hills part of their territory, and this led to the fateful Battle of Belly River and Piapot's dream or vision that saved the lives of his men. Despite the losses in that battle, the Cree were able to settle on the eastern edge of the Cypress Hills, and they made that area their home. Since Piapot was no longer in his traditional area of the Capel Valley where Fort Capel was located, he did not know that at the time the government of Canada was sending a commissioner to speak with the Cree there regarding a treaty. Since the government of Canada had received Rupert's Land, that former Hudson's Bay Company territory, and they had plans for a railroad to be built through the Canadian West. So the government was beginning to negotiate treaties with the indigenous people of the West to cede that land to the government in exchange for reserves, provisions, supplies, and food. The numbered treaties, as they have come to be called, were signed between 1871 and 1921. Treaties 1 to 7 were signed from 1871 to 1877, while treaties 8 to 11 were signed between 1899 and 1921. These treaties ceded land to the government in exchange for provisions, reserves, and money to the Inuit, Indigenous, and Métis people. The land the treaties cover stretches from the border of present-day Quebec to the Arctic Ocean and the Yukon Territory. Treaty 4 would cover nearly all southern Saskatchewan except for the extreme southeast. The commissioner from the Canadian government was coming to the Capel area so that the government would build railroads through the Canadian West in anticipation of the arrival of more settlers. Treaty 4 was negotiated through the early 1870s as the government wanted to include the Cypress Hills within the ceded land since the proposed transcontinental railway would move through the area to the north. Piapot only learned of Treaty 4 after it was negotiated in 1874. A year later in 1875, Piapot met with Treaty Commissioner William Joseph Christie at the Capel Lakes. Christie, who was Métis, had had a long career in the Hudson's Bay Company and he was well respected by the Cree. He also spoke their language. Piapot told Christie that the signing that took place with the other Cree chiefs in 1874 was only a preliminary negotiation. He stated that the Cree wanted the final treaty to have provisions for farm instructors, mills, forges, mechanics, machinery, medical assistance, and more tools. Piapot was told that these demands would be taken to Ottawa to determine their inclusion in the treaty. Piapot believed that the government would honour his request, and on September 9, 1875, he signed the document. But it turns out, the government refused all of his requests, and for the rest of his life, Piapot never forgave Ottawa. Treaty 4 went through without Piapot's requests. 
although eventually the government implemented them in Treaty 6, which they signed with the indigenous people of current central Alberta and Saskatchewan in 1876. But back in 1874, after Treaty 4 was signed, Piapot was in close contact with the indigenous leaders and friends Big Bear and Little Pine. They were leaders of the Northern Cree, but they were living in the Cypress Hills, and they expressed their concern that the treaties with Canada were destroying the culture and autonomy of the Cree. For the next decade, Piapot and the other Cree chiefs then refused to sign any other treaties with the Canadian government until they were guaranteed their autonomy. These leaders hoped that instead of isolated reserves, their bands could create a Plains Cree territory that would have protection from governmental interference. Piapot became the spokesperson of the Southern Cree in this movement and called for revisions in Treaty 4 to create his new homeland. But the Canadian government was hesitant to allow it. In response, Piapot, the entire Assiniboine nation, and two Cree chiefs named Kawases and Foremost Man requested to have reserves next to each other in the Cypress Hills. They selected a site in May 1880 that was 50 kilometers northeast of Fort Walsh, which was a northwest mounted police fort established a few years earlier. This time, Ottawa agreed. Now it's likely the government agreed due to the growing pressure from indigenous populations for territory and the government's need for treaty negotiations with other indigenous nations across the country. A reserve survey was conducted in 1880 and all signs pointed to the indigenous population getting a large territory in the Cypress Hills where they could live their lives without interference. Now, if you look at a map of Alberta and Saskatchewan today, you can see that there are nearly no reserves in southeast Alberta and southwest Saskatchewan, and certainly no territory in the Cypress Hills, which is now an interprovincial park. So what happened? Indian Commissioner and Lieutenant Governor of the Northwest Territories, Edgar Dudney, happened. Edgar Dudney began his career as a surveyor on a trail that runs through British Columbia. The Dudney Trail runs 720 kilometers through the middle of the province and was the main thoroughfare during the 19th century. Today, 80% of the trail has been incorporated into the Crow's Nest Highway, which is the main highway running through a portion of southern British Columbia and the third most important highway in the province after the Trans-Canada Highway and the Yellowhead Highway. In 1870, Dudney took up a role in the Canadian government and served in Parliament from 1872 to 1879. Then, in 1879, he became the Lieutenant Governor of the Northwest Territories, while also serving as the Indian Commissioner for the region. Now, Dudney was known for his method of using food rations to control the Indigenous people and force them into reserves. He became aware of the large concentration of Indigenous people becoming an autonomous political entity, which he felt the government and Northwest Mounted Police would be unable to control. Knowing that the bison were fast disappearing, he felt using starvation was the best way to force them to accept treaties as written and to prevent this new indigenous territory from being created. Unfortunately, without even realizing it, the Young Dogs and other Cree groups helped Dudney achieve his goal. In 1881, the Young Dogs and the other Cree followed the remaining bison to ranges in Montana, where they stole horses and, according to authorities, killed cattle for food. The American army rounded them up took their guns and wagons and escorted them back to Canada. And with the Cree disarmed, Dudney seized on this opportunity and recommended Fort Walsh be closed, thus cutting off the rations to the Cree and the Assiniboine until they gave up the request for land next to each other. And while he recommended the fort be closed, 
That didn't quite happen yet. This was the beginning of a shift in government policy when dealing with the Cree, and in particular, Piapot. In the spring of 1882, Piapot and his people were starving, so they agreed to move to the Capel River Valley, located in present-day eastern Saskatchewan. In return, his people were given horses, wagons, and rations for their journey. And their stay in the Capel River Valley would not last long, as Piapot said they were treated poorly as the treaty was not being honoured. By September of 1882, they returned to the Cypress Hills to winter there with Big Bear, Little Pine, and their Cree nations. In return, the Canadian government, in agreement with Dudney, ordered Atchison Gosford Irvine, the Commissioner of the Northwest Mounted Police, to close Fort Walsh and not give the Cree any food. But Irvine worried that doing so would result in violence, not only against his troops, but also attacks and disruptions to the construction crews of the Canadian Pacific Railway, which was well on its way across Canada. He chose to ignore the orders from Ottawa, and he kept the Cree fed while also keeping Fort Walsh open. In the spring of 1883, Ottawa once again ordered that the fort be shut down, and an end to all rations to the Cree. They provided extra troops in the area, just in case there was conflict. This time, Irvine agreed, and Fort Walsh was closed and completely dismantled. With no other option, Piapot took his people to the present-day Indian Head, east of the Capel River Valley, and established a reserve there. To make sure he left the Cypress Hills, a police escort travelled with him the entire way. And even though he had seen his people weakened by starvation and pushed out of the Cypress Hills, Piapot continued to advocate for territory for the indigenous peoples elsewhere in the land covered by Treaty 4. His first plan was to do so in the Indian Head area, but the lack of fresh food did not make it feasible. By this point, the population of his band had fallen from 700 in 1878 to less than 450 members in 1884, mostly due to starvation and malnutrition. In April 1884, Piapot told the federal government that he was moving to the area of Fort Capel so he could take a reserve next to another Cree nation. He also stated that before his journey, he would hold a thirst dance and a grand council of all the indigenous leaders in the Treaty 4 region. The thirst dance, also known as a sun dance, is a sacred ceremony for the indigenous people that occupied the grasslands of Saskatchewan. The ceremony would last between four and eight days, taking place between spring and summer. Participants would start with a sweat lodge ceremony and then gather to celebrate the renewal of life, good growing seasons, good community, and good health. The ceremony was looked down upon by the Canadian government, which would eventually ban the ceremony completely in 1892, and that ban would last until 1951, just 70 years ago. In early 1884, Piapot invited Dudney to attend, but he refused. Instead, he sent Irvine with orders to break up the council and force Piapot back to Indian Head, roughly 100 kilometers away. In May 1884, Irvine, with 56 men and a 7-pounder gun, caught up with Piapot shortly before he reached his destination near Capel. His men attempted to arrest Piapot in the dead of night, but soon found themselves surrounded by armed warriors. Rather than fight, Irvine negotiated. After speaking with Piapot, Irvine recommended to the government that Piapot be allowed to take the reserve near Fort Capel. He also stated that the Thirst Dance and Grand Council should be allowed to proceed, which they did. 
Now, Dudney had agreed to what Irvine recommended because he saw it as the lesser of two evils in his mind. Having Piapot on a reserve in the Capel area seemed like the better option than having a larger indigenous territory to the west. Dudney truly believed that if Piapot was not allowed to settle at his new reserve, he would travel to the Battleford area in present-day west-central Saskatchewan and take a reserve next to Little Pine. And if that were to happen, he believed, other Treaty 4 indigenous would follow and the Battleford area would become a large indigenous territory. The movement for treaty revisions was also growing among the indigenous people, including the Assiniboine Saltu, Rabbitskin, and Torchwood Hills people. But on March 26, 1885, before any progress could be made, the Northwest resistance of Louis Riel, the Métis leader who led the Red River resistance 15 years previous, erupted in the Battleford area. This resistance, which was fought primarily by the Métis and some Cree, would only last until June 3rd before the Canadian government and its militia shut it down at the pivotal Battle of Batoche. In the aftermath, Louis Riel was hanged in Regina on November 16, 1885, labelled a traitor by the Canadian government. Eight Indigenous leaders were hanged on November 27, 1885 in Battleford for their role in the resistance in the largest mass hanging in Canadian history. Now, Piapot took no part in the resistance, but his friend Big Bear was jailed despite having a minimal role. In fact, Big Bear had attempted to negotiate between his people and the government peacefully, but he would be found guilty in a trial after the resistance. His time in prison caused a decline in his health, and he was dead by 1888. Little Pine had died just before the resistance began. With their deaths, Piapot lost two of his closest friends and allies. And after the resistance was over, the government established a military base next to Piapot's reserve. The associates of Piapot were then labeled as rebels and traitors by the government. Piapot was the only one of the major Cree leaders in what is now Saskatchewan not to be arrested or die soon after the resistance. With his dream of an indigenous territory shattered, Piapot set out to live on his reserve in the Capel area. By this point, he was the major spiritual leader of the Southern Cree, and he continued to promote indigenous culture. He chose to make his reserve a small homeland for his people. On his reserve, he also prevented the government from breaking up the village. The government's hope was to take Piapot's Cree band and atomize it, forcing members to settle on farms scattered across the reserve. Piapot refused to allow the land on his reserve to be parceled, which would have allowed the government to disperse the members of the band. Due to this, Ottawa grew distrustful of Piapot and his growing influence, believing he would influence other Cree to resist the government. And despite the banning of a thirst dance in Canada, the practice continued on Piapot's reserve. Piapot considered it his ancestral right, and he said, I agree that my people do not pray to their god in their own way, if the commissioner is in agreement not to pray to their own in their own way. Even as Piapot grew older and kept to the reserve, the Canadian government was intent on breaking up his band and removing him from a position of power. In 1900, William Morris Graham was appointed the new Indian agent for the reserve, and he demanded that Piapot be removed as chief on grounds of incompetence. Graham, who had only one leg, believed that the indigenous people should abandon their traditional ways and force chiefs to sell portions of the reserve so it could be settled by colonists. Piapot described him like this. He is so mean he carries a linen rag in his pocket into which to blow his nose for fear he might blow away something of value. 
He would also say, Now I know the government is going to break the treaty, because when it's signed, it was understood that it would last as long as the grass grew, the winds blew, the rivers ran, and men walked on two legs. Now they have sent us an agent who has only one leg. Graham's efforts to depose Piapot were hampered by the Indian commissioner, David Laird. Laird had known Piapot since the 1870s, and he refused to see Piapot's behavior as grounds to depose him. Governor General Lord Minto was also a supporter of Piapot, having met with him, and he attempted to have the ban on dances lifted after Piapot requested it of him. Unfortunately, he was unsuccessful. But Graham just wouldn't relent. He then wanted to have Piapot arrested for holding a thirst dance, and this time, Ottawa agreed. Soon after, on April 15, 1902, Piapot was deposed by the government as chief. And although the government removed his title, his people regarded him as chief for the rest of his life. Later in life, he converted to Christianity, but only partly, and he said, I only accept half of your religion, because if you were wrong, there would be nothing left for me to believe. In April 1908, Piapot died on his reserve. Lord Minto honored him by saying, He had been a celebrated old chief for many years, and a great warrior in his time. Piapot was buried on his reserve. His body was placed in a coffin in the Christian tradition, but his knees were placed against his chest in the Cree tradition. And that's the end of the story of Piapot. But there's one more thing you need to know about his legacy. Today, as you drive along the Trans-Canada Highway, just to the east of the Cypress Hills, you will reach the small community of Piapot. Spelled in the anglicized version of Piapot's name, this community was established in 1908 and was once a thriving community. Unfortunately, like so many other communities in southern Saskatchewan, the slow decline began in the 1950s, and today only 50 people call it home. And on the other side of the province, almost 150 years after it was first established by Piapot, the Piapot First Nation continues to exist with a reserve population of 2,551 people. And lastly, the Government of Canada finally gave Piapot his dues and labelled him a person of national historic significance on November 13, 1981. The designation says, in part, For many years, he strove unsuccessfully to have the treaty terms improved. In later years, he championed the right to continue Cree spiritual ways. Now today, Piapot is mostly forgotten among great Indigenous leaders, and that's unfortunate. He doesn't have the same name recognition of leaders such as Big Bear, Poundmaker, and Crowfoot. Piapot was a man who could see the path the Indigenous were on with the Canadian government. He knew moving to reserves would fragment their way of life and allow the government to push their assimilation into Canadian culture at the expense of their own. Through his life, he fought against that, not through wars or battle, but by uniting Indigenous nations together to form a place where they could continue to live their traditional lives. But circumstances out of his control prevented this from happening, and the worries of Piapot were confirmed with residential schools, Indian agents who had dictatorial powers on reserves, and the infliction of generational trauma on the Indigenous peoples. Thank you for joining me this week on Canadian History X. Information from Biography, Canadian Encyclopedia, Piapot Nation, Wikipedia. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufour. 
If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.